Football on Off The Ball With Sky Watch Premier League, Women's Super League, Scottish Premiership and much more Live on Sky Sports And you're welcome back to Off The Ball Saturday here on News Talk John Duggan with you through until 5 This is Football Saturday Before we start the proceedings Let's go down to Thurdis Galway against Cork In a very tight All-Ireland Senior Hurling quarter-final Tommy Walsh Yes, John, 2.14 to Galway. They're just after getting a great score from Johnny Cohen, who came on as a sub in the second half. 2.14 to Galway. Cork 1.15. They had reduced it back to the minimum, but there's another score from Galway, and it's Tom Monaghan. And what a score it was from out the field. So it really is heating up. There's back to a goal, but this game will go right to the death, and we could even see extra time, John. Johnny Ward, Dan McDonald, studio, Stephen Elliott on the line. Johnny, the nerves are gathering pace in your just don't talk to me for the next 15 okay. minutes sir. Um, yeah it's been it's been a great game or sorry not a great game but it's been a strange game and Galway somehow holding on um, and uh, no better man than Tommy Walsh to describe it but 12 minutes to go and uh, hard to keep my, like it's literally to my left here Dan has given out about my, my positioning in the office today maybe I should have sat in his seat but it is hard to take your eye off it and it's a busy day of sport JD. Dan we'll have to talk to you then for the next yeah time. like I have a perfect view here actually but um, Johnny you can just you know Johnny can check out this discussion for the next 15 minutes we, under- we can understand Dan you were in Armenia and uh, Woj so would you recommend them uh, as yeah I mean I yeah god it's in its sort of I mean two weeks ago today in Armenia I think the game would have been what a half time um, so it feels like a lifetime ago um, yeah I mean the Aravan is a very nice city it's a uh, it's a it's a long way to go, and I can't imagine it does huge amount of like tourism from this part of the world. But um, yeah, very you know very clean capital city, you know sort of nice views. Um, I I'd actually been there in 2010, so I'd sort of done some of the more history stuff there. There would have been stuff related to the. Uh, the genocide of the Armenian people, which was a, a sort of a seminal event, I suppose, in there in the history of Armenia. Um, but yeah, I mean, I definitely as a venue, I mean, it's it's off the beaten track for people. But I'd, I'd have no, uh, there'd be no sadness if uh, I saw that you know Ireland were being sent back there. And I think quite a few Ireland fans did go. Um, and I'm sure you know if the draw came up next time and sent Ireland there again, I wouldn't put anyone off from going. And Wood as well, yeah. I mean, like it's. I think I don't know. I think I was. Uh, it was a discussion over there, like listing the the cities in Poland that Ireland have played against Poland in, you know, or, or football visits to Poland because you know you have sort of Gdansk and Poznan, uh, Wrocław. Warsaw, um, big gosh, big gosh as well, and like there's there's definitely a couple of more that I'm probably forgetting, um, and yeah, it was a sort of a Sunday to Wednesday trip, Sunday to Tuesday trip. So um, you know, you're sort of seeing a place that was reasonably quiet. I'm not sure if it wasn't for the Irish supporters, how lively it would have been there. The, the sort of Monday Tuesday, but um, not necessarily a, like a, a place. Dripping with sort of sights and history, um, but there was enough, you know. I'd recommend it definitely. Like, I mean, Poland's just like it's it's pretty accessible. It's not hugely expensive, um, and yeah, I mean, it's not a city I'd be sort of racing back to. But I mean, it, it was fine, you know. It was fine. Stephen Elliott, good to talk to you again. How's it going, John? You okay? Yeah, good. Uh, you've been doing a lot of coaching this season. Yeah, I've been busy. I'm running the the academy at Darlington Football Club at the moment, so I'm I'm quite busy with that. But it's in the off season now, so a little bit time off, thankfully. And what did you make of the whole Nations League campaign? Um, I think it was kind of as far as football goes, it was kind of like a, a game of two halves, really, with the with the four games. Obviously, the first half not being 
been great. And then obviously the second two games, been the second half, been a little bit better and coming away from both um, both the Scotland game and then the Ukrainian game were full of positivity. And I think that's what we got to do now. we got to look at kind of the way we kind of left left the window. And I think everybody's feeling a lot more better about themselves than what they were a couple of weeks ago after the Armenian game. Yeah, could you call it a success? Is that too strong a word? Um... I think that well, if you if you compared it to the first two games in the in the in the window, then you'd have to say it was a success because the manager was able to kind of turn things around the way we played, and we kind of played with a little bit more energy about us in in the in the Scotland and the and the second Ukrainian game, and and definitely, yeah, I think I think you'd have to say it was a, it was a it was a bit of a success if, if, if in comparison. Listen, if you look at the point situation, it's not the end of the world. You're probably look before the games. I was looking at the fixtures with the form we were in, and you're kind of. You're thinking if we could get kind of you're looking at the Armenian game, thinking that's a probably guaranteed win. I think most people would have uh, presumed Ireland would have beaten Armenia, and then obviously the Scotland game. It's a, it's one of them where you're thinking it might be a draw, and I just didn't expect us to beat Ukraine after watching them them play and against Scotland in the in the playoff game. So come away with four points. I think it isn't the worst outcome, and as I said, it was more the manner of the last two two um, performances that that kind of fills me with a bit more positivity than what I did in the, after the, the first two games. You were a striker, Stephen. I suppose you would have been heartened to see the way Obafemi uh, played last week and Parrot had a good window as well. Yeah, I think so. I think Obafemi, obviously in the Scotland game, he, he was electric. He had, one of the, he had one of them days where everything went right for him. He, he, he was kind of unplayable at times. I think he's even the assist for Troy's goal was was very good, but his goal was was out of this wall. I don't, you're not going to see many better goals than that in international football. The way he, he kind of take and take on the turn and then kind of hit her in the one movement, and it was past Craig Gordon before he see it. But yeah, he had a really good game, and the only disappointing thing was he wasn't able to continue that form into the into the Ukraine game, having picked up a slight injury. But now there's something to work with there. Troy Parrott as well. There was definitely a bit of chemistry between the pair of them. I think. Troy Parrott, for me, was really, really good in the games. I think he showed he showed a maturity about his game, which we didn't always see when he forced kind of burst onto the scene, which is probably expected as well, because he's still only a, a young lad learning his game. And I think I think we've seen in these games the fact that he had a full kind of season of first team football under his belt. I think that shows and showed in the games and these kind of positions he was picking up in the the pitch and the way he was kind of being a, a focal point for the team. And I thought he was really, really good in in, in the games. They did seem to have a chemistry, didn't they? Like for two lads, they seem to kind of never played bo- before. Yeah, together. their body language, they seem to kind of get on well with each other. And like, uh, I think uh, you know that moment uh, of of Parrot's goal would kind of you'd have to think of the future as in like even if you know they may not be our starting strike force forever uh, more or whatever they might not be our starting strike force next year but it was just it was great to see like something so instinctive as that and the quality of it like you know we were, it's rare you see that uh, from Ireland It's funny though it, it says a lot about form lads isn't it because like at the tail end of the World Cup campaign it was Robinson and Benny we were all raving about and they've been playing well but they were eclipsed by um Paris and Obafemi. Well, Obafemi went. Obafemi's form in the second half of the season was was incomparable to what any other Irish stri- striker was doing. He was scoring a lot of goals in the championship. Like, and we don't. I mean, apart from Adam Eda's kind of cameo before he got injured, like Obafemi was, was was definitely the form striker. It was just a question of whether we could get him in, whether his injuries would allow him. Um, and there was, seemed to be some sort of doubt about um, how he'd settle into the camp. But I mean. He, he looked like a breath of fresh air. 53106, I'm very happy with Kenny and the team. It's not just about results, it's about nurturing a new generation who can play a good brand of football. It is a long-term project. No point returning to caveman hoofball as it achieves nothing. Dan, you covered the team for the whole quartet of matches. What's your 
take away now having had a few days to think about it? Yeah, I mean, I, I think to be fair, like you know, you, you say, was the window a success? And it's it's strange. I mean, look, I think it's very hard to call a window with four points out of twelve a success. I feel, I think if they'd won in Ukraine on Tuesday, you know, um, or the game in, in the Poland, the neutral game, and it ended with six points, um, I think Ireland actually probably would have ended up top of the table off that, albeit with a game fewer played. I think that would have been a successful window. I think ultimately, in sort of golf terms, they're probably a couple over par, probably where they should be, and that. Like uh, I think, in some respects, like the big disappointment to the window, uh, you know, the, the Armenia is the obvious one because it's a team you should beat. But in some ways, um, you know, Ireland got a chance to play a Ukraine team, a second-string Ukraine team with seven competitive debutants who were. Um, granted, they'd probably spent a fair bit of time together in a training camp, and they did win the Under-20 World Cup, and they probably have a fair degree of understanding. But still, it was a, a good opportunity at home, and I sort of feel Ireland lost their way in that game, having started well, and that was that was disappointing. But um, whereas the first game. You know, a lot of players after a month off. It was very warm over there. Sometimes those results happen, like they shouldn't happen, but they do happen. But it it was that the response didn't come immediately, but it did come eventually. So um, it's sort of yeah, sort of mixed feelings at the end of it. I think there's no doubt that it's um, the way it's it's ended has probably. You know, it, it sort of strengthened sort of Stephen Kenny's hold over over the job. Not that I ever really felt it was vulnerable, but obviously, if you'd lost four games, it would have sparked a, a you know a very big discussion and a very degree of discomfort around the games later in the year. Whereas now, I think ultimately, you know, what it means is that. Um, barring something mad happening in the, the return game at home with Armenia, like Kenny is going to get to see this job through and is going to get to see Ireland into the European qualifiers next year, and that's going to be the judge of everything. Like that's going to decide, you know, how his tenure is remembered. Effectively, I think it's going to be the regular qualifying in, in 2023, um, and the hope is that um, you know that, that the lessons that have been learned, and there's still always a lot of lessons being learned, and there's still an element of play and catch up a little bit too much after you know bad results, and then you're sort of you're you're on a sort of a retrieval mission. But the hope is that the lessons learned are such that from the start of 2023 they're ready to go. Because there were, I think there there was some important sort of landmarks in the last week. I mean, it is true. Like Ireland hadn't had a big win in Dublin like that Scotland game in seven years. Like there's some established Ireland players who haven't even sampled the big win in Dublin before and for some of the younger ones they've got a taste of that now as well and then they followed it up and they really backed it up with a really positive performance in the return match with Ukraine so if that's the standard they set and they maintain then I think we'll remember this window fondly in time um, but there's obviously that little niggling worry in the back of your head that we'll throw in uh, a clangor again well yeah and I think that that's you know to, to qualify like you have to be ruthless and efficient and I still think this team has to show and I know that you, you know, young players will be inconsistent and so on but there comes a point where you sort of have to develop, develop that little bit of a ruthless uh, sort of instinct you know that in reality Ireland are probably going to be third seeds the way things are looking now it's, it's, it's very hard to see it being any other way um, and I mean, first and foremost, you have to beat all the teams ranked lower, home and away. And I think they, like, they've almost shown they can produce the big one-off performances. In fact, under Kenny, they've generally played quite well against the, the so-called better sides. But it's the, the, we all know the results that have killed them. You know, it's it's the it's the Armenia, it's the Luxembourg, it's the Azerbaijan at home, and that's 
that's going to be the, the difference between this team succeeding or not, I feel. So you would hope that when they're faced with Armenia again, at that type of challenge again, I think teams are looking at Ireland now and seeing, OK, these are actually quite decent when you give them a bit of space. And sort of weaker sides, I think, will probably try and do what Armenia did and sit in and try and frustrate them. And, and that's still the one question that the, the positive performance in the last two games, that that still hasn't been answered because Scotland and Ukraine were trying to play. So that's just a little box that needs to be checked that in future can Ireland cope with being the favourite again um, because I feel that that's just that's the, the next step that this this sort of group of players needs to be able to, to make that was 69 minutes on the watch Galway 219 Cork 119 and uh, that's what's going on in the hurling yeah it's Gal- Galway just holding on going into extra time I think the the thing was like going into the break it looked like we had dealt with that issue of playing against poor teams but I, I kind of would forgive them Armenia Dan was there like and he can attest how hot it was and I I can kind of forgive them that I think you know you'll have nights like that it was very very tough for players at the end of the season uh, they were kind of um, just not able to get going the second half but like I, I'd hope that we'd be able to get back to beating poor teams again Stephen mm-hmm. Elliott do you think there's a, a method of breaking down these weaker teams and, and putting this I suppose question mark that we have out of our minds that we can consistently beat weaker teams I think so. I think listen, we're going to have it, like Dan mentioned there. We're going to have teams that are supposedly below us in the rankings come and, and probably watch games over the last, over, well, especially since uh, Stephen Kenny's been in charge of Ireland and have kind of tried to play this way. And you've seen that they've struggled. Ireland have struggled against teams that have made it difficult. So they're going to come up with these questions again. But I don't see why not. We, we have to find answers. This is this is why, why you're a manager, why the, the managers there and the, the coaching staff are there. They're trying to work out ways to kind of beat these teams. And I do, I do think, uh, listen, it's it's easy to kind of get going for for a game against Scotland at Dublin, like you know, Scotland are gonna kind of come out and have a go, and, and we're gonna go go back and forth with them. And I do think it's a little bit easier to play our game with them, but I don't know. I just think results breeds confidence. I think as well, that's another thing. You kind of have to go into a game, <coughs> excuse me, believing you're gonna win. And I think I think after the past couple of games, I think there's gonna be a lot more confidence in the group now that when they go and play against these teams, they, they have to believe that they can score score that goal out and nothing kinda of, even even the Lithuanian game, I'm going back a few games now and we kept going right till the end and tried Parrot him up with that stunning goal right I think it was the ninety sixth minute or something he scored. But we got sometimes it, it takes that. You have to kinda of plug in away. As long as you kinda of keep that kind of back door shut, so to speak, then you have to be patient to break these teams down. And we have to be realistic as well where we are with this with this Ireland squad. We're not like we're not world beaters. We're we're a we're a group. We're a very young squad learning about international football together on the kind of main platform, which is which is quite unusual at international level. So I think we got to probably take that, and everybody probably has to take that into an account at times that when we're watching these performances. But I would say it would be more of a defensive thing for me. I think the quality is there, and I think the more we we get results, the likes of the Scotland game, the Ukraine. I know we drew the game, but we could have won that game. I think we got to take the confidence from them results into the games against like Armenia, Azerbaijan to this wall and, and hopefully eventually break them down. And listen, if we, I just think if we score that fourth goal in them games, if we score early, I think it becomes a whole different game because other teams may have to come out a little bit more. And I think it's just, as long as we can kind of, as long as we can defend well, I think we, I believe now with the attacking players we have, I think we've always got a chance of scoring goals no matter who we're playing against. Yeah, I think, I think, sorry, John, I think like Troy Parrott is, is a very interesting player in the context of those type of games because 
Ireland maybe don't have that natural number 10, say, so you're sort of looking at Troy Parrish, who can drop into some of those positions. I mean, Jason Knight can play a bit advanced. I mean, there was obviously that change to like three in midfield as well um, for the last two games. But I think Troy Parrish is an example. To be fair, like, I think Kenny would have got a little bit of criticism early on um, in his tenure for maybe playing Parrot in games but he did always believe in him and I kind of wonder are we seeing the benefit of that now to some degree that Parrot sort of um, he, and I agree with Stephen like he's, he sort of played with a lot more maturity I think you know in, across this window I know Russian maybe as well it didn't go great for him in Armenia maybe um, you know although I know in hindsight maybe you could take the view that you know he was he was no better or worse than, than players around him you know and, and he sort of you know, he, he, he was taken off the pitch before some of them. So, um, but I think, you know, he is someone who can pr- produce something a little bit unpredictable. Because obviously we've seen at times, you know, Ireland have been a little bit predictable in those type of games that we've referenced. And Obafemi as well. You also have Adam Eder to come back, who I'd be a sort of a big fan of if he could get a clear run. So all of a sudden you sort of, a, you know, three front players there. You know, throw in Jason Knight as well to the mix as sort of the attacking midfielder. Sort of four players who are what age 22 and under, um, who in the coming years can be a big presence. But there's always these little variables that you can't control. I mean, it's hard to still plan ahead with certainty with Michael Obafemi just with his injury record across <coughs> his career. Like he's had a great run this year, and fingers crossed. Hopefully, that's the end of it. But um, that's the hope that we have to. There's those are little things you can't control. Okay, Danford, just going to break off for a second. Got to go down to Thurless. Go away against Cork in the All-Ireland Senior Hurling quarter final. There's not much between them. They're into injury time. Tommy Walsh. Yeah, 30 seconds left in injury time. There's five minutes on the clock. We're on to 74 minutes and 30 seconds. Galway 219, Cork 121. It's a one-point game. And they're after bringing on a substitute. I'd say Cork or Galway. So the referee can add on more time again. So this could be going to extra time as I predicted at halftime. It's been a great second half. Both teams have given absolutely everything. David Burke was, you know, he was just immense right throughout the game. He's gone off. They needed fresh legs in. The substitutes, I have to say, on both teams are excellent. Alan Cadigan has scored three points since some coming on. Dara Fitzgibbon has scored four in the second half. So, listen, all to play for both. Galway... It's 75 minutes gone now. It'll probably be maybe an extra minute. Finton Burke is a sideline, who's a brilliant sideline taker, and it's gone straight from midfield and gone to the right-hand side of wide. Here's the puck out. There might be one more chance. Yeah, there's going to be a yellow card for the Goblin player trying to stop the short um, puck out, but there's going to be one more puck out, I reckon. If okay. I was refereeing it, give him one chance. OK, Tommy, we'll come back to you. OK, uh, Tommy Walsh there, a Galway 219, Cork 121. So Johnny Ward has got his head in his hands here at Galway. Problem is Tommy, Tommy's coverage, we're, we're watching the game here, it's about seven, eight seconds ahead, so it's torture listening to Tommy Walsh, so I'm glad you cut him off there because we, yeah, we can yeah. watch it in my misery here as we okay. go down to the end. Last puck of the game, pretty much. OK, Tommy Walsh, we'll bring you back in there at Semple Stadium. Galway ahead by a point. Yes, and... It's still play on, 76 minutes gone on the clock now, and it's over! Galway are through to the semi-final, and I said the puck out went and pawed. He did give him the chance, as he should have, because the substitute did come on. It looked like Jack Grealish, the right corner back who was out underneath the, the new stand over there, under the Orion stand, he won the ball, and then it looked like maybe Cahal Mannion, number 15, who is right beside him now, he cleared the ball down to the corner, and um, game is over. Pod the wire has called it off. It was a terrific second half. Listen, it lacked the intensity, the passion of a, a Munster final, but that's what happens if a, a game of quarter two of a Saturday. 
Saturday, but it was very much entertaining. Galway, as we said, they hadn't been scoring goals up to this, John. They scored the two goals uh, in that first half. They were the difference. Shane Kingston got one goal back for him in the second half. But listen, the second half I thought myself was all about the subs. Subs on both sides. Johnny Cohn scored a fantastic point for, for Galway when coming on. Carl Mannion actually was probably the main man for them. We always say if Carl Mannion is going well, Galway are going well. He scored four points and won an awful lot of possession as well, uh, John. As I said a couple of minutes ago, uh, Horgan came on at half time and Alan Cadigan. Horgan finished with four points, scored a lot of crucial frees. And uh, I see the rock down there. And, and Henry is buzzing, Henry. Tommy. Henry is buzzing on the sideline. He has to be. Sure, he was under pressure. He's driving up there to Galway two and a half hours. You know, it'd be a waste of time if he goes out maybe in a quarter final, a very much a damn squib of, a, of an end, you know, to the season. I went up there once and, you know, for for elite, for the round robin game and I don't want to go back for another couple of months. You know, it's a tough drive up and he's doing that. That'll show you the commitment that he's given to Galway at the moment, himself and Richie O'Neill. But listen, the players, this was all about the players today and they answered him in. Now, I said it at the Leinster final, I thought physically they gave it to Kilkenny. It's just maybe they're hurling probably letting down on that day, but it didn't let him down today. Uh, Connor Whelan at vital times. And one, do you ever notice when a team wins a, a big game, they sc- the, the, the opposition score a goal John and straight away to come back with a response well Shane Kingston had the Cork crowd on the edges of their seats after scoring a fantastic goal solo through from about 40 yards out had a lot of work to do but glided the ball into the back of the net the next, very next book out Conor Whelan won it and I'm nearly sure he passed it to David Burke who I spoke about so often in today's broadcast David Burke scored that point so when you get a, a point straight after the opposition gets a, a goal it nearly takes the wind out of their sails and that was a very much an important score for them but listen Johnny he can relax now for the rest of the evening thanks Tommy <laughs> Galway you're in the semi-final and I said beforehand Johnny seven teams in the last 22 years that came out of the quarter-final stage have went on and become All-Ireland champions so why not Galway they will be underdogs against Limerick in the semi-final that is clear now that fixture is clear because Galway were beaten in a provincial final they can't meet Kilkenny so they're definitely going to meet Galway now and listen Galway they always it always Limerick always bring the best out of Galway because they're not afraid of them you're never afraid of your neighbours and Galway won't be afraid of Limerick in a couple of weeks time what about Cork uh, back to the drawing board for them it'll be 18 years next year since their last All-Ireland uh, Tommy yeah and a, a disappointing one for them like the, like the last time they beat Galway in championship was the day um, Joe Canning made his you know he announced himself to, to the GA world he scored 2-12 that day down here in Turles Gerald Lucknan was manager wasn't he Gerald Lucknan was mm. manager he was um, it was his second year and I think both times they were beaten in I'd say the quarter final I'd say the first year was by Kilkenny probably 2007 the second year then by Cork and uh, he had an interesting comment after that wasn't it uh, it's not coming to me mind here now but he basically saw it upon, a failure upon himself that he went there to win an All-Ireland and they never even reached an All-Ireland semi-final so I'd say that was a disappointing end to him but at least listen Joe Canning announces his name on the scene that time but um, that was the last time Cork beat Galway Galway beaten the four the next four times up to today and now that's five in a row so and they were very much worse their victory today Johnny and for Cork though I would say they did I don't know Tommy they left yeah. it behind Cork didn't they? Oh, they missed a lot of chances say Conor Lahan was taken off the freeze in the first half Mark Coleman took him off 
uh, took him off him. Then Mark Coleman was taken off the freeze. They brought on Patrick Horgan. In face to, fairness to Patrick Horgan, he did score most of them. Like it, the last couple of scores, I'm looking at it here for for, for Cork. You have Horgan, Cadigan, Horgan, Cadigan, Cadigan, and then Fitzgibbon. And so they hit the post twice, didn't they? Hit the post twice. But more importantly, for each time it hit the post, Johnny, a Cork lad wasn't within it. You know. Aurora of getting the ball he, he, you know they were, he wasn't on song a good corner forward is waiting waiting. he nearly hopes it hits the post and he'll sneak in and put the ball in the back of the net both times it came down and a goblet player was probably three or four yards in front of his man but not, not to say though uh, Johnny I talk uh, you know opposite to the to the Leinster final I thought Cork a glorious chance the three great goal chances in, in, in the first half a kind of a half a chance in the second half and um, Joseph Cooney got ba- back and made a, a great flick and um, they missed it, their free. So today was more about missed chances for Cork than I said before the game, if they come with their aggression, when they don't have the ball, chase and chase, and they did. Now also, I, I also felt they had a, they spent a lot of time passing the ball just short out around the middle of the field where they had extra numbers, but they were in their own half passing the ball. So it was going nowhere. It wasn't penetrating the, the, the inside for, uh, uh, Galway full back line. And when they did hit it in, it was nearly a 50-50 ball. Any time they give a ball in front of the man, Cork, their forwards were well able to win it. Like Alan Cadogan showed that when he came on, you know. Okay, Tommy, the great news is we've got a second game as well. Clare and Wexford at 3.45. Galway have won. They will play Limerick in the All-Ireland Senior Hurling Semi-Finals. 2.19 for the Tribesmen, one twenty-one for the Rebels. Off the Ball Saturday on News Talk is back after the break with Football Saturday. Stephen Elliott, Dan McDonnell and Johnny Ward reflecting on the Nations League campaign. Don't go away. We're back, we're back, baby. We're on the train. Connor, you're like a nippy corner boy <laughs> hanging out in the corner. I didn't know we said had to go on. GA Late Night, live every Sunday evening, 8.30 on Twitter Spaces. Follow at Off The Ball. Football on Off The Ball. With Sky. Watch Premier League, Women's Super League, Scottish Premiership and much more live on Sky Sports. And you're welcome back to Off the Ball Saturday on News Talk. John Duggan with you through until five this evening. This is Football Saturday. Remember our football coverage and Off the Ball, all with thanks to Sky. Get more of the sports you love on Sports Extra with BT Sport and Premier Sports. Text us if you like five three one zero six at the cost of thirty cent. Tweet us at Off the Ball. Listen on News Talk. Watch us on the digital and social channels for Periscope and Twitter at Off the Ball. YouTube, Facebook, and on the OTB Sports app. We're joined by Stephen Elliott, the former Republic of Ireland striker, the football correspondent of the Irish Independent, Dan McDonnell, and the broadcaster and journalist Johnny Ward. Between now and five. We're talking about the Republic of Ireland and the Nations League. And Stephen, uh, I suppose this was the window of international football when Nathan Collins arrived. Yeah, uh, unbelievable, wasn't it? His goal uh, the other the other evening. It was. He, he kind of he, he gives you kind of a bit of hope, doesn't he, going forward in them in the defensive positions? I, I really felt even away from his kind of what he brought to the team, kind of stepping out with the ball, obviously his goal. I think he was he's very good defensively too. I think he brings a bit of pace as well into the into the back line, which kind of puts, it makes kind of attacking players think a little bit twice whether they're going to go on the outside of the players because they know he can keep up with them. And I, I think he's, he's going to be a huge player for Ireland in the future and probably kind of be our main defender. And it'll be kind of him and maybe if it's, if it's a back four, him and somebody else, or if it's a back three, him and two others. That's the way I, I would look at him kind of coming out from this kind of international window. He's, he was that good. 
It'll be an interesting one for Kenny if he takes the bold move of going with him, uh, O'Shea Animal with Medelli going forward because they're both they're so promising. And one Medelli was so good before he got injured. That performance against Serbia, I thought, like last ditch defending but aggression and very good on the ball. So we could have three centre backs that are comfortable on the ball. And Collins is pace, JD. I think like his top speed was like thirty four kilometers. But he was road. slaloming through those slaloming. players. Slaloming, what a beautiful word. And um we've dissected the goal as if like we've never scored a goal before and the ins and outs. Like Archie Gamels for Scotland. But they couldn't they literally couldn't stop him in fairness. And like if you've a centre back, if we've centre backs that are happy to go forward in that manner, um Gary Breen in an article in the end of the day where he's arguing he could be right of a three Duffy, the Duffy situation for me is a hard one to call because he's such he's so poor on the ball at times that I don't know I don't know what Dan thinks. Yeah, like I think like there's a, there's there's, a, there's just a tendency to sort of write people off too quickly as well, oh, through, and also laud people you know, in a way. Though. Yeah, Nathan Collins yeah, is the yeah. second coming. Yeah, no, there's always there's always you have he to is, you have to you have to rein them. I thought it was I James Wanker. Yeah, <laughs> uh, listen, like but but Collins. I was, was watching really back some stuff for uh, an award entry I put in. And I'm like, oh, look, Johnny and James Wanker. Oh my god. Yeah, I still have great hopes for James. James Wanker will be okay. Okay, JD. I think he's 18, but um, like it's just it's just unfortunate he's coming into a position where there's like you know like Daryl Lennon. We were talking about this off air. Like Daryl Lennon was really good the other night, but he's like basically had to wait till he's 28 to make his competitive debut. And you could argue he's like the seventh choice centre half or something at the moment. Because, but I I do think you have to be conscious of going too far down the road of saying well this is the three he's going to go with. Like the Scottish display had a lot of sort of bottle and sort of leadership in it too and like you know Egan would have played when he had sort of other stuff going on and he showed a lot and he's very well regarded by Kenny and Duffy is still very commanding like you know he can go and win headers and in both boxes he can be very effective in certain types of games but of course he's under threat um, with the with the emergence of the players that are there but um and, and I know he's, he had a couple of difficult moments on the ball, but he's still a big presence in that group. And, and we've seen it across the last year at times. He's had some very good games for Ireland. So um, it's a tough it's, one. It is. A, it is. A, it is a difficult one. I mean, like Ireland's next game is away to Scotland. So um, that's going to be in Hampden Park at the end of September. Uh, you can imagine the type of game it's going to be. You'd imagine Scotland are probably going to have a target on Ireland after sort of being booed off and. Are you really going to say in that scenario, look around, and, and Kenny has spoken about how he is a leadership gro- group. He actually made a point of it, that he's a leadership group that he refers to. It's Coleman, it's Duffy and Egan. Is he going to leave all three of them out? No, he's not. So, um, but, 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 yeah. but, 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 but longer term, could it be the three you're talking about there? I think very possibly. I think they love uh, Amoa Badele, certainly. Um, but he's been out, you know, the guts of sort of six, seven months with a back injury. I gather he's meant to come back to pre-season, same as Adamida. But it might take him a little bit of time. You know, who, thing who is, knows? If, you, if, you've, if you've a player like Duffy, who's just, he's a constant, like, danger when, he's, when he has the ball. Simple as, at this stage, he's never going to be brilliant on the ball. You're kind of only as strong as your weakest link in terms of possession. Because teams will target you. And Duffy against Scotland, it was bad. But this, at yeah. this stage, at this, and, uh, like, that's not the, the most intense press that we'll ever have. So, it, it's, it's a very tough one to call for me. Like, but I mean, I, yeah. sorry. So I just think... I think coming in, I think Stephen Kenny's obviously come in. He wants to play this brand of football, and, and listen, you can't you can't play this passing out from the back for ninety minutes in a game because teams are gonna sometimes get that press on you. But if that's the way you want to go, then I, I would be I wouldn't be massively surprised if he doesn't play Duffy. And listen, everybody knows what Duffy brings to the brings to the table. He's aggressive. He's strong. He's a he's a massive threat in the opponent's uh, box. He obviously defends corners well. But ultimately, if we're gonna play this this game of football that 
it seems to me that we want to play. You can tell that we want to play. This. Then he he's he's not he's not the right fit for that. And I think styles are all about the player. It all depends on the players you have. If you have this style of playing, and if Stephen is is going to stick to his guns and play this way that he wants to play, then he's got to be looking at that game the other night and thinking, Do you know what, Nathan Collins is my. If he's playing in the back, is if he's going to go over back three. Nathan Collins for me is the guy that should play in the in the center of that that back three. I, it's not even like on the ball. I just think he, he he's willing to kind of step up and play a little bit higher up. The yeah, pitch. he was insane. And he was like, insane. And that, the yeah. message though, that's the uh, message to the rest rest of the uh, team. Do you know uh, what? I We're feel- not going to. I think that's I a feel massive point. That, yeah. Yeah, I, I feel that Collins now is the guaranteed starter of the back three. Like, no question. You can't not start. Well, Collins. I agree. He's got to be, be playing first plays. team football, though. First team football. Yeah, so where's Duffy's career going in terms of club? Well, he hasn't been getting first team football at Yeah, so, and the other thing is, in fairness, I think he will go with Duffy in the Scotland game because, like, um, you know, he's he's such a leader and he's a massive threat from set pieces. There isn't, there's nothing to say Collins won't be, but Duffy's a massive threat from set pieces and you have to factor that in and he is a leader. But it's, it's a question of when for me that that back three some version of that back three which is extremely exciting our goalkeeper and back three situation is incredibly exciting playing, that come, come September depends on who's playing regular force yeah, like, yeah. if Duffy's not playing is he going to just play him anyway even though he hasn't played kicked the ball all season like I'd I presume Duffy's going to play somewhere but if he, if he isn't if, he, if he's not playing regular football it, I don't think I think it's a risk putting so especially in that position there if you're not playing regularly to go in and play somebody against you're going to be up against attacking players that are probably playing week in week out for Scotland. And I think Collins is definitely going to play. He's going to be playing no matter where he goes, whether he stays at Borne or whether he moves on to a Premier League club. He's going to be playing. I just I don't know. I, I think Duffy. I think when 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 Stephen Kenny came into him into the setup forced he didn't he didn't play Duffy because he had this thing in his head where he didn't see Duffy being able to to, to play the way. Well, he, he was totally out of form. Well, yeah, well, true, but I, I still think we've seen in the Scotland game, even just like you mentioned there, Johnny, like we, he he can't he can't play that brand of football. He can do so many things. He's got so many positive attributes to his game. He's been unbelievable for all, and I'm not writing him off here. But if Stephen wants to change this this way that we need to play, then he's got to be thinking, how can I improve us? Like we're looking for, we keep looking for this kind of this change of the this change of style, and I think. If he really wants to implement that into this setup, I think he's got to he's got to start looking away from players that can't do what he wants to do. Could you say the and same thing about Seamus Coleman then? Now, I think I think you can. And listen, this is we're talking about Ireland's probably one of Ireland's best ever fullbacks, international uh, captain, Everton captain. But I don't know. I presume Kenny's looked at the game like you're only as good as the performances you're putting in. And if you look at the performances there, even in the Ukraine game, I think there were some really good performances. We're out there players, we're out Egan, we're out mm. Duffy, we're out Coleman. We looked very good against a, a good Ukraine team. So if you're, if you're kind of not being, you don't want to be stuck in the mud internationally. You want to kind of keep moving forward. And you got to, you got to be trying. And this is why you ha- this is why when injuries happen, players come in and you take your chance. And I think the lads that have come in have really said to Stephen, you know what? Look at me. I can play in this way. I can play the way you want me to play. And he's got a few. He's got a lot of kind of questions over. His, I think Stephen have a lot of problems and a lot of decisions to make on who he's going to play because. In a way, it's like there's no world class. Maybe Collins could go on and be world class. I'm not saying he is at the moment, but he has the the attributes to go on and go again. But I'm saying, other than that, you're looking. We don't have. 
Stephen's just frozen yeah, there. I, we'll I think back in a second. just to, like Gary Breen's point would be that um, like Matt Doherty is is going to be the, the right wing back. You know, he's the the first choice in that position. Although he might have to move as well now. Well, no, I I think Matt Matt Doherty. Spurs. Oh, uh, do you think? Yeah, possibly. Yeah. Oh uh, no, I think he'll be in their plans, JD. Like they're in the Champions League, so I think he'll get plenty of football next year. The the demands that they they put on their players, I'd imagine he'll be rotating. He'll he'll get enough. Um, I would but have he's thought. in there. He's obviously yeah. in there. Yeah, he's in the team. Who would he play in the Ireland team? Ireland. Yeah. So he's he's quite an attacking uh, option. And I think Gary Breen's point would be, you know, to, if you have someone like Nathan Collins with with his athletic abilities that can cover that sort of quarter of the pitch mm. almost, you know, the ground he can cover as sort of the right of the back three. Um, and it, you know, it, it's possible that a scenario could even see someone like John Egan play in the centre of the three mm. as well. Um, so there's actually a lot of options, and, and it's true. Like I mean, in some ways, uh, you know, the, the Coleman and Duffy scenario is going to be a, a fascinating one. Like, you know, Coleman probably uh, basically arrived in struggling for this camp as well. I mean, he looked per in Yerevan, but I think yeah. he was physically probably carrying something as well. As well like. Yeah, but I think he was carrying a little injury as well. But obviously, you can't afford that at this stage, you know. But I mean, see, if you, if you have an Amoma Medele right at the three, that's the same thing. He can basically very, very versatile. Um, Collins, I, Collins was playing right back for Stoke, I think, um, under Mick O'Neill back in the day as well. And he can play either right of those back, three, yeah. two would be fine there. But like, I'd be very tempted to play the three young lads going forward. I really would because they're very good on the ball as well. Yeah, I just yeah. think players you be playing for their clubs and progressing. Mm-hmm. Their clubs um, and what's going to happen with Norwich and Bamadele and Nathan Collins is he going to get a move with Seamus Coleman still going to be an Everton starter where's Shane Duffy going to be I think that's huge I think it's a huge thing mm. um, and they make it the midfield as well like Stephen Elliott what do you think our best midfield is at the moment I think Cullen's obviously in there but McLean I think, yeah I think I think Cullen you got I, for me Cullen was really good in the four games I think he, he kind of he's the kind of gel the kind of the glue that kind of brings every that gels everybody together and I, I I don't know. I think he—he's for me. He's definitely—he definitely plays all games. He's—he's—he's he's, he's number one pick for me in that midfield because because of the yeah. role he plays. Um, the two boys that are in there have been playing. Have done well. They've Malumbi. He's full of energy. That's one thing he will give you. He'll give you energy. He gets around the pitch and he—he he does a lot of work for the team. And obviously Jason Knight. He's another one. Will he—will he be at Derby County next year? Where's he going to move and play? Like it's there's there's so many there's so many kind of. Things that could happen between now and, and the next games. I like Alan Brown for me. I think he has to be given a lot of credit as well, coming in and playing in the, that position he played in the last couple of games. A position that he's he obviously he can play there. It wouldn't be his strongest position. He probably, if you were to ask him, he'd probably like to play in one of them kind of three mid, uh, one of one of the hmm. attacking areas of that midfield three. So does he come back in there again? Like I, I don't. There's a, there's a lot of the city. It all depends. Like we said, we're going back to the Doherty Common. Who plays right wing back? Does James McLean stay out on the left left wing, or is somebody else going to come in and take? That's that another one, Steve. Like that. That's a yeah. hard, that's a hard one to call. I think. Yeah. There's there's nobody like to be fair to the James McLean came in and he done really well against Scotland. Like. Um, you think okay? You always thinking he's, 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 he seems to be around for a long time, and he's, he's kind of marmy. Some some people think he does a great job, other people not so good. But he came in, and you, you can't knock his performances in a couple of games. He probably could have done better for the Ukrainian goal. Goal, I think, defensively. But yeah, that's another position. Like, can Doherty will Doherty play on the left left wing? And like, there's so many. There's so many. That I think it's very hard to go and say right. This is my in international football. It's very hard for Steve to say this is my strongest eleven because. Like we've just been discussing, it all depends on who's fit, who's playing, and who's who's that match sharp. It's not like club football, so there's a lot of things that kind of will decide 
on on what he's going to do with the team. But I think at this moment in time, if you had to pick pick a midfield three, you'd probably have to pick the three boys that have played in there because they they played so well in the last two games. Yeah. Goal for Wexford inside thirty seconds against Clare in the hurling. Was that a game last night? In the Jack car- O'Connor. Um, not the carry manager but the uh, Wexford centre forward has blasted the slitter into the back of the net bit like the Galway game uh, an early goal uh, Wexford one goal clear no score Galway through by the way to the semi-finals 219 to 121 over Cork in the match we didn't get to mention that Johnny did a very unprofessional celebration when Galway went through but I think Tommy Walsh was on the screen at the time but the good thing is that Johnny wasn't on the screen yeah he was on the screen it was like the time Alan Kelly the politician won the election a couple of years ago he scraped in he kind of of clenched his fist and did a really do we get Johnny in the hunkers and to like yeah he was parade him around the studio just any Cork listeners I mean very just you know yeah well Dan of course admitted that he um Behaved unprofessionally when uh, Collins got. I know, the I didn't. Know, no, unfair. I, I just laughed. I thought it was absolutely hilarious. The Collins goal. I mean, it was one of those moments when you're nobody's going to laugh. And then there, you're just you're watching. Well, no, I don't think you're know, celebrating in the press box is a complete no, no. But I must admit, it was just when you watch. Nobody Collins, noticed your celebration. When you watch Collins go on that run, it was just one of those moments to be there. Where you're like, oh, he's not going to, and then you could see it happening and happening and happening, and the finish just sort of. Capped it all off. I, I could have it's seen. Just, I could have seen you score that goal, Dan. Sorry, Steve. Finish. Sorry, Steve. When Collins ran through, you're thinking, is this an actual Ireland centre back? Yeah, doing yeah. This? yeah. Like, Stepping out. It was Brazilian. Glide past three players, and I know we're only getting a little bit overhyped with the goal. But the fact that we don't see this very often, in fact, have we ever seen a goal like this? For These Ireland are good players. He was. He was players, so like. command. I think mm. it was, but he was almost like you know. Do you ever sometimes you see schoolboy football and there's one player who's bigger and better than the rest of them, and like they, they sort of dominate a game, and it was sort of the same. But I think the thing about Collins as well, it's not just about the goal. It's that he was so commanding in the game generally, and even just reading, li- the, little, reading the ball, reading the well. ball, like little tackles he was making later on. On. even there was one where he sort of fainted and took the ball and played a pass and took three players out and you're just sort of watching someone grow in front of you you know he, and know, actually, he knows when to stand up as well Dan yeah. like, no, he's in one-on-one he doesn't die like you know a lot of kind of centre-halves when they when they know they haven't got the, the same pace as a forward, knowing them one on one positions, they kind of sell themselves, hoping hoping that they're going to get the ball. He doesn't have to. Yeah. He moves his feet, knowing that if somebody knocks the ball by him, he believes in himself that he's going to be able to keep up for him. And I think attacking players are aware of that, so they tend not to try and take him on. And that's that that's a kind of that's a that's an attribute in itself. And I, honestly, he really he he was really really outstanding in the games and. I, it's, it's a horrible thing because you don't want to make you mm. don't want to big these players up and overhype them and remember then, Paul like, McShane against the Czechs like he was the yeah, yeah there was, there was yeah, the, everybody bigged him up after that I don't know I, I think I said it earlier on I, I genuinely see him being a, an, an Irish captain in the near future Nathan, Nathan yeah. Collins I, I think he's that he just has that look about him that he's a leader the way he scored a goal even when he, his composure when he in and he finished and he ran off and you just thought this is the this is the future it was kind of like the changing of the guard for me and I thought mm. there we have somebody a leader in there that can go in and play in that defensive line somebody that lads around him will look up and think right he's like you no know, when you go out to a when you go out to an international game and you have your have your captain there you know he's your leader you're following him and you're going into not not war him but you you know you've got somebody there that you look up to that that can play this game that's not afraid to go and kind of express himself on the international stage and I think he'll give that confidence to the rest of the, the, the players and like I mentioned just earlier on when he steps out on the ball that automatically makes the gaps between the forward line and the midfield line that little bit less so we're yeah. able to kind of yeah. get them link up plays a little bit rather than having 
like the, the back kind of three back four sitting miles up and that's a big the gap. thing with Duffy as well isn't it that yeah. you know he just well, he's he na- that, he naturally he retreating like he sits deeper yeah, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Is, is it's really though that Duffy's more for a four four two system than a well no, he, I think Duffy sometimes the point would be that I think in the middle of the back three maybe does he not have the same confidence in himself speed wise you know in that race that maybe Collins would and he does it's a slight criticism of him sometimes in the back in the middle position that he just goes a little bit deep and then as Sleeves saying that creates gaps you know it sort of has a domino effect of gaps further forward and it was the one very striking thing about watching Collins in the middle of the three the other day is that because he steps up and he plays higher then it helps to make the Irish shape a lot more compact as well you know and, and it's sort of he he just gives the team a very strong platform well, that's, it wasn't that we watched Ireland games Dan Johnny yeah. over the years where we've like kind of we've watched even say Shane Long play up front or whoever was playing up front and it was like they're playing in a different game the, the mm. gaps are so big and it was very frustrating I think having like I don't I think having somebody like Collins in that back line you think it's it just it'll make it'll make it'll make it so much easier to go and like get them no balls and Cullen picking up the ball around the corner he'll actually be in a in an area where a little ball yeah. around the corner actually might go and find a striker's feet in a good position rather than a ball coming and up around a striker and hitting them on the head here, up around and also here. sleeves if you have like if you've th- if you have these three pacey uh, full center backs like it's it's much much easier to take chances in terms of your line and like that 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 has been a problem I think in Kenny's reign where this Ireland would lose the ball in midfield and the gap would be massive and you're just like this massive open space even in the Ukraine game at times I thought they picked him open easily um, so I think that's interesting but like what I loved about it was his interview after the game where he's just like I, just, I love playing football you know and it was just his, where he was so refreshing he was smiling and he probably couldn't believe what had just happened but like he's just like I love playing football the goal happened and it is what it is Claire I've well, got two it, points it, back to go on Stephen yeah there could have been a criticism for Collins like obviously he lost his header and and then obviously when, when mm. in the second passage when, when James McLean got done in the outside he's probably come too far across but that's a learning you're going to get that with kind of yeah. with, especially with youngsters you're learning about the game you're learning about them positions and, and that will come in time and I think he'll get better and better at that and so listen if he kind of <laughs> people say he shouldn't have come across because if he comes across and the ball goes there he clears the ball so he kind of took a, a risk in where the ball's going to go and it was probably it was the wrong kind of movement to make but at the same time on another day he probably clears and everybody forgets about it well, I just think it's listen. We're never going to not concede goals internationally. We're always going to concede goals. It's like, but well, have we got the confidence? Listen, we concede the goal. We're going to go and score anyway. And I think that's that's something that we need to breed into this this setup. And I think it's starting to happen now. Where even if we can see, even there against Ukraine when it was one each, I'm watching the game thinking, we can win this. I genuinely believe we would have, we, we we had it. We could have could have scored again and won the game. And that's something that we didn't always have. Usually we'd score a goal, and you're thinking we're we're just going to sit back here and like probably accept losing the goal mm. maybe hang on and we I wasn't there was no kind of hanging on feeling mm. to the game there was still balls being played in the midfield even when the Henrik and Horan came on like I think I think try para if I was watching the game watching the movements I would try para closely in the last in the, in the second the kind of second period of the second half and he made some really good runs and nobody quite got their head up in midfield yeah. to kind of just get that pass into knowing that little kind of reverse but something like a little not going back to Wes Hulham or somebody with that little kind of little bit of magic where they okay. kind of but hopefully, hopefully that that'll come. The gaps are kind of shut down okay. on the pitch. 
Okay, thanks, Stephen Eddie, for the moment. Dan McDonald and Johnny Ward on Football Saturday. Remember our coverage and off the ball, all with thanks to Sky, proud partner of our women's national football team. Out believe together, and we can go anywhere. Galway into the All Ireland semi final in hurling, beating Cork by 219 to 121. At the moment, it is Wexford who lead Clare by one goal and two points to two points, with Jack O'Connor uh, getting the goal inside the first 30 seconds. Clare have got a, another point to add on to that. Great so, game, Judy. 1 3 now to Wexford, three points to Clare in the that hurling quarterfinal in Thurles with the winners to play Kilkenny in the semis. Just to let you know on Camogie, Tipperary 15 points, Wexford 1-1, a full-time score, a win for Tip. We're back after the news. Football on Off the Ball. With Sky. Watch Premier League, Women's Super League, Scottish Premiership and much more live on Sky Sports. And you're welcome back to Off the Ball Saturday here on News Talk. John Duggan with you through until five. Remember, Galway already through to the All Ireland Senior Hurling semi final, beating Cork 219 to 121. What is happening in the second quarter final? Clare against Wexford. Tommy Walsh. Yes, John, plenty of excitement here. 17 minutes gone on the clock. It's Wexford 1 4, Clare 6 pints. Started like the first quarter final. A fantastic goal by Jack O'Connor. Ball came in high. He rose the highest, caught it, turned his man, and straight to the back of the net. A lot of things have happened in this first 20 minutes John um, Tony Kelly has missed his first three frees taken off him Peter Duggan then went on the frees missed the first one but has scored the last one there now Rory Hayes the guy who came back from suspension during the week he was taken off after seven minutes and it looked like it was just because Lee Chin was after winning the first couple of balls but unfortunately for Wexford in the last two or three minutes Rory O'Connor has went off with what looked like an ankle injury uh, Shane Rex started for Wexford he kept Tony Kelly to a point last year from play not Damien Reck but Shane Reck first start in a while he was out injured so he has started and he has kept Tony to a pint so far so plenty of action here in the first uh, 20 minutes Wexford 1-4 Clare 6 points OK Tommy Welsh there down at Sample Stadium in Thurless reporting on that second quarter final keep you right up to date as it goes on it is Leicester 12 Saracen 6 at half time in the English Premiership Rugby Final remember folks the US Open Rory McIlroy 4 under par tees off at 8.20 three hours time John Ram is four under Hayden Buckley is four under Aaron Wise is four under Bo Hostler is four under the lead held on five under by Colin Marikawa and Joel Damon. the leaders out at 8.45 hours time going to be a long night and then we have Seamus Power still in the hunt on one over par with Shane Larry missing the cut this is Football Saturday Republic of Ireland the former striker Stephen Elliott is on the line delighted to have you Stephen with Dan McDonnell of the Irish Independent and Johnny Ward in studio with us between now and five so uh, Gavin Bazunu, Dan going to Southampton and uh, a lot of implications for this implications for Gavin himself will he get a starting place Alex McCarthy's 32 years of age now 12 years older than Gavin there's the windfall for Sean McRovers there's also the knock-on effect on maybe Quiven Keller's decisions yeah, no, there's, there's a lot going on with the, the two keepers, certainly at the moment, because Lequivy like, and Kelleher in this window, um, for the first time really, started to talk about, talk like someone who was thinking of, of leaving Liverpool, or certainly, maybe not necessarily leaving, but, but going somewhere to play next season, you know, whether, whether that be alone or whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's um, it's a big step for for Gavin Bazunu. Like in some ways, it's it's disappointing to see him leave Man City, but I think there's a buyback clause there. Yeah. So you know, City hold him in high regard. He was never going to play ahead of Ederson. So really, like you know, he gets to go to another Premier League club. Where as you mentioned, you know, I don't think Alex McCarthy. You know, he's a good keeper, but it's not sort of an intimidating one in such a way that Bazunu can't see himself playing. I think. Um, I'm not sure if he'll be there in the team straight away. 
Um, but I'd say by Christmas he will be, you know, and, and it's possible he might even be in the team um, straight away in, in the short term. And as you mentioned, yeah, there's, there's all sorts of spin-off. I mean, for Shamrock Rovers now, it's basically it's around the three million mark, I think, what they've accrued from the sale of Gavin Bazina, their academy product. So in terms of League of Ireland boys, he's the, the best export of, of of all time, I mean, realistically. Um, and um, what would, what would, what would have Robbie, you know, all his moves would that have benefited anybody? No, like it, there, there is sort of there's um, there's there's mechanisms there for for the first five percent. I only learned about this during the week. Um, the, you know, the first five percent in a transfer fee uh, would go towards development clubs, but this used to not exist for transfers between borders. Effectively, um, it would only work if someone went overseas, and uh, Robbie obviously did go overseas to Inter Milan, but basically it wouldn't have generated that money, John. I think now uh, we might see more of this in the next couple of years. Maybe with James Abanqua, as we mentioned, if he went on to be a success, you know, his, his fee could, there'd be clauses. Alex Murphy's gone from Galway to Newcastle. I'm sure I'd mention that before Johnny does. Um, and it, it is all about getting good value deals. I mean, the, the Bazunu one, it was not just the fact they got a good transfer fee up front. They got a, a clause in it as regards competitive international appearances, which they've got a good sum and then they had the sell-on clause as well um, in around a 15% mark so I mean that's just like you know that's it's incredible when the player turns out to be a success so um, I think you know that that is a template um, for, for what you would be hoping for but um, it is fascinating for his development Bazunu like he's decided he wants to keep playing all the time um, so he went to Rochdale had a full season there, conceded a lot of goals, but probably you know probably learned a lot as well in that environment too. Then went to Portsmouth, you know, a bigger club, higher up the table. But I think quite still a challenging year at times. He was there, I think, player of the season. Southampton are a big rival, so I think they were poking fun at Portsmouth the other day. I think they quote tweeted Portsmouth uh, announcing him as their player of the year with a sort of a, a winky emoji, as if to say, well, he's our Gavin now. But they wanted him. I mean, I would have been sort of trying to cover this story since the end of the season, and um, there was any amount of clubs that were in for Bazunu. Um, you know, in Europe, um, pretty, pretty much every club in the Championship would have liked to take him on loan. Um, other Premier League clubs. I mean, Everton was one that was mentioned, um, but Southampton came forward straight away and were willing to get it done quickly and meet the asking price. And that sort of says to me this is a club who see him playing. You know, it's not sort of an exploratory signing or let's see how it goes. It's very much profiling and they've decided he is the man for them. And um, I mean, it, it is kind of striking. I mean, Nathan Collins was, was, was very, very good on Tuesday. But then you step back from it and you realise that he was the only player involved in the pitch for Ireland who played regularly in the Premier League this season. Um, that we don't have very many of them and you can see the quality that he showed in that game and to have potentially Gavin Bazunu in that environment I think it can even help to bring him on another level You might have Mark Travers playing Premier League as well for Bournemouth yeah, this season Yeah, no, I mean he's, he's fought off battles at Bournemouth um, so you would hope he's earned the chance to, to play for them now that they've got promotion as well too um, the, um, it's the, very the, interesting the Bazuna thing as well I think Judy like when you know when the voters who voted for or against Brexit like they didn't really consider Northern Ireland they certainly didn't consider like um, themselves well <laughs> whatever they were thinking of I, I could never get my head around Brexit at all oh, um, it's very easy it's an English nationalist project 
kind of, but there's a lot. It just doesn't. It doesn't seem to make any sense. And the more it goes on, the less sense it makes. But what an opportunity this presents for Irish football! It was a complete uh, um, byproduct of it. But like, Seamus Coleman went for what Dan? Like sixty grand, sixty grand, grand, yeah. And you're thinking four hundred grand with bonuses eventually. I, I, but, yeah. I don't think anyone expected Seamus Coleman to be as utterly amazing the career he had in terms of coming from Sligo Rovers. He was a good player, uh, great player in the League of Ireland. Uh, but like for Gavin Bazunu to you know, before he's even played in the Premier League to have insured Shamrock Rovers three million and Dan mentioned Alex Murphy. I spoke to John Coffey last night and the feeling go United is that they're very, very happy with the money they're getting from this deal to Newcastle. Well, you'd want to be getting good money from Newcastle nowadays. Well you? yeah. You know, like English clubs are, are legendary for coming here and trying to do, do things as cheaply as possible, but I don't yeah. think Newcastle are probably the one that can't really get away with it to be yeah, fair or Man City to be fair yeah. um, and then you have obviously Dan mentioned as well James Abanqua so there's been a, in the space of a very short space of time there's been a massive change for the Irish clubs and you now have like a few billionaires who are involved in League of Ireland ownership and I don't think it's coincidental because um, there might be a, an element of wanting their football club to do well but like it's become far more um, financially sort of less of a basket case than it ever was anyway I think because look at this 3 million for a player who hasn't even played in the Premier League yet Stephen do you wish you are playing nowadays yeah it's, it's there's some money flying around the game like but on Gavin Bazuno, I think I know obviously we were saying he didn't play in the Premier League but he's, he's played he's into double figures now is he in, in Ireland kind of appearances so that's quite impressive for, for, a, for a young lad especially for a goalkeeper but he's, he's only just turned 20 not so long ago so I uh, so Ireland are in really good hands in regarding kind of the goalkeeper department, but I think Gavin Bazoon has made this big statement here moving to Southampton, and I, I agree with Dan. I think he's going there to play. I think he's going there to take that number one jersey. I don't. I would be very surprised if he isn't in the starting lineup come the first, first uh, game of the season. I think he's ready for that now. He's he's done his time, like Johnny uh, mentioned that Rochdale, and then last season Portsmouth our club as well. I know it's obviously League One football, but there's high demand at Portsmouth, big kind of following, big crowd, big atmosphere. There's pressure, especially in that that level. They their fans see themselves as being a bigger club than League One. So I think he made sixteen or seventeen clean sheets last season for them. If, if I'm if I if I was reading correct through the week but I think it's a great move for him to, to kind of go and play Southampton's a good club as well really good Premier Premier League club good kind of stability there and to, to go there and there and play will be huge for Ireland and I think that's his his his, his mindset is I'm going here to play regularly in the Premier League I want to be Ireland's number one and it's it's down to the to the likes of Keller to see what he kind of does next because whether he moves on from Liverpool is it, it's 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 all fine us sitting here and saying yeah he should move on but mm. it, it must be very hard like yeah. if mm. he does get a handle like, to say this I'm going to walk away from Liverpool it's probably one of the biggest clubs in the world like you don't you, you don't walk away from a club like that easily when you uh, kind of on that sleeves as well sorry to interrupt but on that I thought like Nathan was on OTBAM the morning after the game and like I, at no point did I watch those Ireland games thinking Bazunu's uh, position is under serious threat here so I, I'm interested in what your views are because Bazunu for me is a starting keeper for Ireland he's unbelievably good that save in Luxembourg he's world class in terms of he's, he's he's either potentially world class or he has done some world class things I don't like Kelleher for me probably should have saved the goal against Ukraine but Kelleher hasn't done nearly enough for me to usurp Kalmazuna no. in my in my estimation but no, I think as Dan is alluding to there maybe Kelleher is thinking well do I need to get playing here to, to get this spot because I think he really does want to be the Ireland keeper yeah, I agree. I agree. I think Bazuno, if he plays for Ireland, I think he's he's proven in the games he's played. He's been he's a huge presence 
really good kind of when you when you listen to him speak you, you kind of forget he's only 20 the way he kind of speaks and the, his mindset and what he wants from the game but no I agree listen I'm not saying Keller's a bad kid Keller's a really good prospect mm. as well but I think he's older than, than Bazuno is he? Yeah again not that that matters massively it's all about playing football and I think that the thing that Bazuno has, he's, he, although he's never played for Man City, he's, be, he's played regularly over the last few seasons. Where he's got 70, 80 appearances at, at a good level of football. And I know Keller has had a, the odd sporadic appearance for Liverpool in the Champions League here and there, but that's nowhere near enough to kind of get that kind of match sharpness. Even as a goalkeeper, I think you, you underestimate it a little bit, even as a goalkeeper. They need to be playing regularly too, their angles, their, their kind of positioning around the box. And I think Gavin Bazuno, yeah, for me, I totally agree. I think he's Ireland's number one, and it's up to the other lads to try and get to the level he has kind of got in recent times and as I said that move to Southampton can only benefit both him and the Irish team because I, I think I think he's one of the best young keepers in Europe definitely at this oh, moment in time and again yeah. he can only yeah. get better we've all done world class things by the way Johnny yeah yeah Very it doesn't make us world class in our lives we've all done world class more clarity JD I'll have to think about it race race commentaries I definitely did it I'm just not sure what it is but I think I think the mad thing is that like this is like I mean Callagher is you know, respected and, and rated as one of the top clubs in the world, you know, and they clearly know something about football to sort of give them that status. But it is it is unusual that, I mean, Bazunu and Travers have basically played more club football in the last season than Kelleher has in his entire career, you know, and this is the, there's it, almost a little bit of an unknown with Kelleher. Like I thought he was, he's never actually played, he had three games in a week with Liverpool at one stage, um, but Liverpool are very dominant in their games. Mm. I think one of them they won maybe 4 0. So, like, actually playing four games for Ireland in sort of close proximity where he would have been kept reasonably busy, like, he hasn't really had that much experience and exposure to that and it's actually an unknown like we don't we don't actually don't maybe know how good Cuevin Keller is you know like until he maybe has a full season somewhere more, of I, playing I, every I, week like you can see he's so comfortable on the ball he's got a, a good presence in a, in a maybe not as commanding maybe physically as Bazuno is but he's better on the but ball he, than but Bazzuno, he's got but he's very good on the ball and you sort of wonder like again, because Bazuna was so young, you think okay, but a Keller is what twenty three, which is still very young for a goalkeeper too. So uh, I agree with you. I think Kenny will pick Bazuna in September. I have no doubt about that if they're both fit and there. But um, I, I, I'd be low to sort of write off Callagher and see what where he can well, go. I I, and I'm not saying either of you are, but you know what I mean. We don't we don't know what his ceiling is maybe yet. Well, I'm saying you if know. we didn't have Bazuno now, and say Bazuno was taken out of the picture, I know obviously he is yeah. there. But say we didn't have Bazuno now as, as an option, and Callagher had played them games. I know Johnny says he, he probably should have saved the goal uh, the other the other night, but. It's it's like we would we be sitting here going we've got a Liverpool kind of backup keeper playing Champions League we'd be probably a little bit more excited about Callagher yeah. but the fact is that we got Bazuna as well kind of probably takes that little kind of takes the shine off him a little bit and it's a little bit unfortunate for Callagher but for him to kind of to, for me he has to go and play somewhere whether that's on loan or or he leaves Liverpool for good which is something that he probably doesn't want to do I don't know I don't know the lad but I think he needs to be playing now regularly I think he's got he'll be looking at he'll be well aware of Bazuno making this move and obviously Travers likely going to be playing in the Premier League as well he'll be thinking I need to kind of get my act together and show people that because I'm sure listening to Cuevin speak he, he's, he's a very confident lad as yeah. well and listen if you're playing with the likes of Virgil van Dijk in front of your players like that and, and still play and perform the way he does then listen I wouldn't be writing him off but at this moment in time I, I definitely think Gavin is, is, is our number one Jason Knight um, does he need a move now in the in the summer 
It's an interesting one, yeah. Oh yeah, he, he, does, he does, does need to move. Just where yeah. he's, yeah. I think, uh, I think he shows flashes of being a terrific footballer. I was watching his younger brother play actually for Bray last night. Not bad at all either, and his older brother. Um, it's just a hell of a family, but he's a, he's a strange one. You, you, there are moments like he he's flitting in and out of games a bit. I think he's he's. Like we saw it in a couple of games. What's his uh, What's his level? I suppose is he like the uh, top yeah. end of the championship? Uh, I, 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 I don't think know. He could he's, be better than that. He's had Premier League clubs. I mean, I think it's more. It's a case of what he needs to do to get to, yeah. to yeah, that yeah, level. Yeah. Like, sh- should he go? Maybe like he's he's been firefighting at Derby for various reasons the last two years. M- maybe is the best step to go to like a promotion, challenging championship club where he plays again a forty-six game season, but not under the type of mad pressure Derby were under last year but he's had all sorts of clubs looking at him uh, JD you know so I think if he if he wanted to uh, you know I'm, I'm sure there's probably Premier League options he could explore it's, it's probably one for the people in his life to sort of decide what's the next step he's got a lot of experience yeah. level, like mm. the, the way the situation, he's played I think the last three seasons he's played nearly every single game for yeah. Derby County so, and he's was he 2021 as well so he's another young lad that that has got a lot of force team experience, but I do I do think he, for him to kind of kick on in his career, I think he, he should be playing higher than League One. And listen, Derby Derby County is a big football club, like and obviously. But a basket knows, case. Yeah. yeah, well that's what I'm saying. They're going everything. Know everybody knows what's going on at that club at the moment. So I do think it'd be in his best interest to get a move. And I'm sure there's plenty. Of, I, I'm not quite sure Premier League club will probably take a chance on him at the moment, but I'm sure there's a, a fair few Championship clubs that'll be looking at him thinking, John, he could. Um, help enhance our midfield so he's another one that you've got to probably watch closely in these next few weeks to see if he, if he does kind of up stick and move it was uh, interesting to see as well Evan Ferguson and Smallbone for the 21s who didn't look half bad up front together um, you're just thinking longer term I mean Evan Ferguson so much talk about what he might do and just his physicality at this stage of his life um, I saw some of the game against Italy and it's hard to know how like he just could be very very good and small one was excellent I thought for the 21 so um, things are looking up JD well we got a new director of football Dan Mark Canham and a consultant John Morning so what can these guys yeah. do for the, the game in the country yeah like I mean it's, it's probably I mean, it's, so, so Mark Canham has effectively taken the rude doctor role um, and to me like it's it's as important a job as, as Stephen Kenny's job really in terms of um, the influence they can exert and and you know the the impact it can have on on Irish football over sort of a longer period of time, um, and John Morling, yeah, who was academy head at Brighton, um, previously worked as underage manager here, but would as academy head at Brighton would have obviously been involved in Evan Ferguson going there, Andrew Moran from Bray, a name to remember as well, going there, um, amongst others, James Furlong is quite a few Irish young lads at Brighton, but. Uh, yeah, Mark Canham goes into again this sort of um, you know a diplomatic role in some respects that um, you you have this still the the residual sort of damage or or tensions hanging over from the rude doctor years, the introduction of the national underage leagues and the schoolboy clubs feeling a little bit put out by that. We obviously have the situation here where you have um, you know the under fourteen national league, which was quite controversial. You have big schoolboy leagues maybe operating in the winter, the National League in the summer. Uh, without getting bogged down to them, there's obviously a lot of issues to resolve um, within the sort of player development end of Irish football. A lot of sort of tensions hanging over a long period of time. And Mark Canham's job is effectively to go in there and try and, um, 
I suppose, affect change. You know, we're, we're, we're talking about for, you know, academy development, League of Ireland level and um, all these great plans and discussions that we have while also conscious that it's an association that's still unfortunately saddled with a large degree of debt and someone needs to go in there and be able to sort of try and bring various factions together and try and get people on the same page. Now, there's been a probably a lot of commentary around as a appointment from the context on the point of view of well here's someone who's who's English who's 39 who's never worked in the country before um, at times the FEI have spoken about this job previously and given the impression that the person who needs to take this role maybe needs to understand the environment you know they need to be maybe someone who who, who knows the game here and the little quirks and the idiosyncrasies of the game here that this isn't England like we have other sports you know we have national games which are you know hugely popular and and it's not quite I think a criticism of Rude Doctor sometimes would have been that he was trying to apply Dutch lessons to Ireland, but there's a very different terrain here. Like Vera so, Powell was very complimentary about it. Yeah, no, example. during the week she was. Is my Irish family, uh, Dan, is he? Is he I think so. Or? I think he's re- that's been referenced. Like, he does have some Irish connections. And, like, he did hold a very good job, like, in the in the Premier League. Um, you know, he seems to be very well regarded. His CV is good. I, I gather, like, you know, he sort of very much impressed people in this sort of, a, you know, the, the interview stage. And... You know, so so I don't want to be down on someone before they come in. I just think it's actually a very very difficult job. Like I remember when they were canvassing for this, and I would have spoken to a couple of people in the game who asked them their view, and they were sort of like, "Oh, I'm not sure about that," because it's just there's a lot of um, sort of historical tensions that someone has to try and come in and appease all sides. So someone could have a great football vision and maybe understand, have a great football brain and understand maybe what you should do from that perspective. But they, they, they need to sort of understand the little personalities that are involved as well. And I think John Morling, as someone who's worked here before and probably knows the game here, I can understand how that partnership sort of appeals. He's almost like a sort of a director of football or something to, to Mark Canham's manager in that context. So, I mean, I haven't met him. I don't, so you know, I've spoken to some people who have who seem to be quite impressed, but I think he starts on the 1st of August. And like, it's, um, it's a big job because it's great to be talking about all this young talent that exists at the moment, all those players under a certain age. But yet it's still madly dysfunctional to some degree how things operate below the radar. And maybe you look at the good players that are producing, it sort of reminds you, of, God, if we could just get our act together, we could have a, we could have a good time um, in, the few, in the coming years. But uh, so there's a, lot, there's a lot riding on this appointment, you know, that he, he, hopefully he can sort of come in and, and navigate some of the, the sort of challenges he's going to face that, that aren't necessarily always football related, but politics related. Okay, um, a lot of uh, tension in the UK uh, over the last few days, Stephen, where you live with Gareth Southgate. It's uh, it, they've turned on him. It seems some of the, some of the supporters, but there's always going to be a faction. I suppose it's probably the longest honeymoon in history. But that's what happens when you get a team to a World Cup semi final and nearly win the Euros. But the impossible job seems to have uh, you know resurrected that label. Seems to be resurrected now with Gareth Southgate. Yeah, I think what it is, I think even though England have got to the semi-finals and then obviously the final of the Euro, semi-final of the World Cup and then the final of the Euros um, last year, I think that 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 kind of gave Sarah Gowgate this platform that he was kind of some sort of like super manager, like the best England have had in I don't know how long. But there's still a, a big percentage of the country from what I gather that still aren't fully convinced them, and a lot of them question whether a better manager would have actually got them over the line against Italy in, in the final, the way he kind of kind of set up negatively and, 
and that's so I think the fact that them results that have happened over the past few weeks, all these these people that aren't sure it's okay, I've just kind of jumped on them, and it's you know or it's like over here the kind of you can't be in between. I think England, they're either great or they're, they're terrible. There's no kind of middle ground with them. They're not allowed to have a few off results. Otherwise, there's, it's uproar. And again, it's been it's been very strange. And obviously, I listen to a few of the, the radio stations and talk-ins when I've been driving about over here. And there's a lot of people saying that he should go. And I think that's that's crazy. Like, I think he, for somebody to get to a, a World Cup semi-final then a, then a final of the Euros and qualify for the World Cup as, as comfortable as he did, I think he deserves that opportunity to kind of to, to give a, a go in, in Qatar so I don't know yeah it's, it's, it's a lot of kind of hot air but it's not great preparation for him obviously he's got another couple of games before the World Cup and I think it's very important that he gets a result otherwise there'll, there'll be really really bad tensions going into the finals in the winter but listen, he's an experienced manager now it's okay I'm sure he, he knows how to deal with it but now it's it's very. Uh, I was very surprised. Like, and obviously losing to Hungary four 0 at home. Like, if we had lost to Hungary four 0 at home, there probably would have been uproar in, in Ireland. But the fact that England, who are seen as a, a much kind of bigger caliber country nation than those football was, to go on and lose the way they did, uh, it's it is. It was actually bad when I when I flicked on the result, I couldn't believe what I seen. Like, we, obviously we were watching the Ireland game and then kind of keeping half an eye on the England score, and you're thinking, is it, surely it's not 4-0, you're thinking somebody's winding you up, but no, they need to, they, they need, they need to kind of to find out what the problem is there. And Maybe it's that players are just knackered as well. They're knackered, yeah, they don't that, care. Well, like. They're just they're gone yeah, on their holidays, they didn't care. Like. I think, I think that, I think Jordan Henderson's a big miss from that, that squad. Like, I know obviously, like, I think he's Liverpool captain, I think he, he was left out of this squad, and I think, Gareth Southgate's probably underestimated the kind of role he plays. Not even when he just plays on the pitch, but that the kind of that leadership role he plays in the group. Like I think he, I think he might have been a miss for them. I just I don't know. I think Southgate. I would be surprised if Southgate doesn't bring him back into the kind of the setup because sometimes after a long season you need people with experience like that in and around the group to kind of keep people on their toes and, and keep them ready because listen everybody. All countries have played football up until this point of the season. So every every nation's tired. It's not just England, Ireland. It's I'm sure the Hungarian players were tired as well. So that, that can't really be used as an excuse. But I just think, like, obviously, he used a lot of new players, Southgate, and maybe maybe kind of tweaked a little bit too much. But I just think sometimes you got to kind of have them players, the likes of Henderson and around the squad, to kind of help the younger lads coming through, kind of develop into English players. And maybe that's something that he'll probably look at now with the games in September and obviously going into the World Cup. Unless they win it, uh, it's, they're never going to be happy. That's the thing, isn't it? Unless they win this World Cup. Yeah. It's fa- yeah. It, like, it is a fascinating one, though, because there was such a great goodwill behind... Okay, and I think this point is met a lot this week that he he still actually it's it's he's, he has the media support generally yeah. you know it's sort of and the players probably often as well. often it's like a sort of a this is portrayed as the stick he's getting in the media but actually it really seems to be the the fan base you know it's the it's the the punters who really seem to be uh, irate for whatever reason and yet there's a sort of a degree of public support and what it creates for England is a situation where you feel like they're going to be going to this World Cup later in the year um, uh, sort of it's going to be on the brink of something you know like they're either going to do very well or they're going to fall short and Southgate's going to be gone you know and he, he looked to be sort of in a very secure position but it sort of feels like now they're, they're sort of on that brink of chaos and I know like Bobby Robson I think was there going to the World Cup in 1990 wasn't he I think he was yeah. coming under a lot he was, well he'd already agreed to leave yeah you know and it's, it's sorry you're right he was out the door and yes you know they, they had a great run at it and um, 
I, I still think if England get their act together, they still have got a pretty good chance of being pretty competitive in, in Qatar. But they could probably do without this sort of little bit of doubt that's been planted, that little bit of unrest that's been planted there, that they may not arrive in that wave of goodwill that there's no doubt it probably sustained them during the Euros to some degree. Okay, let's get a halftime update from Thurles. And this is Clare against Wexford in the All-Ireland Senior Quarter Final. Tommy Walsh, nothing between them. Nothing between them, John. It's 1-7 to Wexford, 10 points to Clare. And, you know, if, if Wexford can hold on, there could be three Leinster teams in the All-Ireland semi-finals. Who would have said that at the start of the, the round-robin series? But, listen, they're full value for being level at half-time. It's very much a backs game here, John. Um, Wexford went with a lot of match-ups. Um, just looking down through their team we'll ta- take the, the, the clear forward line right they've Connor DeVette is, fi- is following Ryan Taylor Damien Reck is, is following Shane O'Donnell Matthew O'Hanlon following Peter Duggan so a lot of thought has went into these matchups size for size if you like Paddy Foley is taking on Dave Fitzgerald Dave Fitzgerald has been one of the players of the season sco- regularly scoring four and five points from play and they've won all their matchups so far on the opposite side Clare they have Conor Cleary marking Conor uh, MacDonald and he's doing quite well and Keane Nolan as I said to you he came in after seven minutes for, right, uh, for Rory Hayes and he's picking up Lee Chin and he's very much quite in Lee Chin so as you can see 1 7 to 10 points very unusual score in the modern game when you know at this stage of the championship we're often hitting 25 to 30 points by the end of the game that probably won't happen today but very much uh, it's a backs game I would say Kean Nolan is a top performer for Clare um, since he came in fantastic both marking his defensive duties and out in front winning the ball for Wexford Jack O'Connor has followed up that goal with some great tackles some great sidelines a hooking and blocking and Connor DeVitt is really doing a great uh, job marking uh, young Taylor so listen uh, full value for, for their draw at half time Wexford and it is all to play for and the worrying thing for Clare it's for the second half it's one of those games where it feels like yeah we're going to get a score too here now someone is going to pop up and get a score and we're going to win this game that's grand in a game like this until you're hit with a sucker punch and then you're not able to respond so it's, it's definitely going to be a dangerous second half for Clare OK, thanks so much for the moment, Tommy Welch there. Clare, 10 points. Wexford, 1-7 in the hurling quarterfinal. Johnny, in our racing chat before three, you said create a force each way. Unlucky Johnny, second. It's mad. Like So the the other Godolphin horse who ended up winning the race... Naval Crown, 33-1, to one, up, wins the Platinum Jubilee. Came up Jubilee. the rail and basically looks like... is This This looks like it's going to co- co- hold on. As I kind of predicted, the Aussie horse totally faded. Like, couldn't... It's very hard to make the run in a race like that. Um, and create a force came up the centre of the track and it's kind of hard with the camera angle you're like oh this 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 wins this wins handy and then the camera flattens out and you're like oh so it's beaten in a photo basically but I hope if anyone had a bet they had it each way anyway Platinum Jubilee Stakes Group 1 Naval Crown wins a 33-1 to 1 for uh, James Doyle Charlie Appleby Creative Force second 12-1 to 1. Artorias third 17-2 to 2. Campanelle fourth at 10-1 to 1. and Aidan O'Brien Ryan Moore have already had a winner on the card there today in the Group 2 Hardwick Stakes with Broom at a price of 6-1. to one. That's what's going on at Royal Ascot today. This is Football Saturday. Dan McDonnell, Johnny Ward and the former Republic of Ireland striker Stephen Elliott are with us until 5 and we're back after this. Football on Off The Ball with Sky. Watch Premier League, Women's Super League, Scottish Premiership and much more live on Sky Sports.
And you're welcome back to Off the Ball Saturday here on News Talk. John Duggan with you through until five. You can text us five three one zero six. Tweet us at Off the Ball. This is Football Saturday. Dan McDonnell of the Irish Independent in studio with Johnny Ward, and also we have on the line the former Republic of Ireland striker and Sunderland striker and Manchester City striker Stephen Elliott. Steve is made for just briefly. It is made for a Galway Kenny final, isn't it? The Henry Shefflin, uh, the Shefflin uh, Cody showdown, Mark Three Limerick will be in that final. They will. I, I they pretty will. much. Clare might not be JD. No, they might not be. 10 points for Clare 1-7 for Wexford at half time in the hurling Tommy Walters down there will go to him before 5 but we just got to mention Sadio Mane Stephen Elliott 269 games for Liverpool 120 goals off to Bayern Munich now a great servant and I'm sure all the Liverpool fans wish him well Yeah he's been a hell of a player for, in the Premier League firstly at Southampton then at Liverpool so it's an interesting one that he's, he, he's left Liverpool where he obviously has his reasons but he's going to another European powerhouse and I'm sure Liverpool fans will be disappointed he's gone but I'm sure they'll wish, he, wish him well unless they, they get him in the Champions League games At 34 goals in 41 games for Darwin Nunes 22 years of age uh, for Benfica last season are we seeing maybe a bit of a, an evolution in terms of the style of play like you're thinking of City and Liverpool pressing teams uh, high press no natural number nines but with Haaland with Nunes are we going to maybe see more direct football at times next season in the Premier League I think we will. I think obviously both Liverpool and, and Man City are probably looking at their squads and thinking we don't need to keep kind of improving all the time. And I'm sure Klopp and Pepper have, have decided, have looked and decided that these two lads are going to help improve the team. Obviously, everybody knows about Haaland. He's, he's been phenomenal at Dortmund over the past years. And, and Nunes at Liverpool, I don't know as much about him as Haaland, but his record is very good, albeit probably not in a league as good as the Premier League. But It'd be very interesting to see how both players kind of how they how they take to the Premier League. Listen, the goals don't change in any any division, and playing in both Liverpool and Man City, that you'd like to think they're going to both get a lot of chances. So, yeah, it could be it could be a, a, another shootout between the the Manchester City team and Liverpool team for the league this year. I can't see any other team kind of breaking into that level at the moment. But so, I think they're going to go neck and neck all the way. And again. There'll be one or two new additions, which will make it a little bit more exciting as well, because we don't really know know too much about these players. So we'll see if they kind of set up a little bit differently. With I think Mane leaving Liverpool, he's a, he's a big loss for Liverpool. I think he was probably one of the most important players as well last year, especially when Salah went off the boil a little bit. So I'm sure Klopp will be aware of what what Mane brought to the table, and he'll be, he'll be looking to kind of probably strengthen as well on top of Nunes. So. Yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be another exciting year ahead and I can't see any, any other teams other than both the two teams that fought out over the last few seasons doing it one more time. Not Man United anyway. <laughs> I think I think like it's, it's you know part of the challenge I suppose of like creating a dynasty or like is to sort of regenerate your team naturally. You know and you have to sort of sometimes let big characters go. Like that's part of it. That it's surprising to me that Mane is leaving. Um, I know that some of the messages you know around the end of the season were maybe a bit confused and you sort of thought he was going to stay the way he phrased a couple of things and maybe not. But like maybe that's the test of management that they did sign. Diaz in January and then they have this summer where you let someone go and you, you sort of you try and you know regain momentum but but steadily sort of allowing your team to evolve and that sort of Mane, Sale, Firmino like it couldn't continue forever you know it, it got to the stage where you you maybe need to try something different and um, 
you know this is the this is the test of that now you know and um because you know as you mentioned i think city it, it feels like Haaland is going to be a guaranteed success it, it feels like it's very hard to see where you know the, he, he wouldn't be a success but but Liverpool obviously you know have to try something different um, and that's part of like you know enduring over a period of time is knowing when to let players go and, and hopefully from their perspective judging it right it's funny because there'd be an emotional attachment that the fans would have with Mane, definitely. And, mm, yeah. and then it's just gone overnight and that's the revolving door in the nature yeah. of top-level football. Yeah. yeah. Um, speaking of top-level football, here at home, Dan, uh, Dundalk beating Shamrock Rovers 1-0 last night. Robbie Benson, the League of Ireland Premier Division. Is there a title race in the offing? God, yeah. It's sort of like we were talking about title races a while back with Derry and then all of a sudden Dundalk are five points behind with a game in hand. That game in hand is against Drada, so it's a game they'd sort of probably fancy themselves in. And you have this situation where the European draws took place this week. We might talk about them in a minute. Yeah. But Dundalk aren't in Europe. Um, so they actually have a sort of a clear run. I, I think Shamrock Rovers have a chance of doing something in Europe this year. But the consequence of that might be um, fixture congestion. You know, a lot of games, you know, eventually, you know, if they're, if they're going well, they're going to have to reach a stage where they're playing two games a week. You know, maybe a European game and a, and a league game. And suddenly you have a team like Dundalk there who... Really felt like it was year one of a, of a, a sort of a rebuild under Stephen O'Donnell, and this is ahead of schedule. But I mean, you know, they they have a, they're going to have a game a week generally. Like they're they're very well managed. David, as much as he talks about a new squad, they still have players there who who won the league before Fordham Dock. Uh, quality like Robbie Benson and Hubert and Andy Boyle and people have been around the block as well as some good new players. So. I mean, their their home form is so good. You think they can they can possibly give it a go? I didn't envisage it. Like I thought, Derry would be the ones that would push, and I was being impressed by Derry when I've seen them. But they just can't seem to to turn their sort of dominance in games into goals and wins, and they've lost their way completely. So maybe it is the dog that push. And I don't know. We generally turn to Johnny Ward to describe uh, declare whether a title race is on or over. It's or like dead. whatever the white smoke of the Pope. So is like this is it. Like, so I, I don't know. Is Johnny, is, is there a title race? I think there is, yeah. I think oh. there is. Um, like, that's a big, Dan, mo- that's a big moment right there, JD. There we go. There's about 10 minutes to go in the football Saturday season until <laughs> August the 6th. And, oh, yeah, and, and this is our last show. Yeah, you're yeah. totes emotion. Well, 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 when we come back on August the 6th, will that title race still be ongoing, Johnny? This is the point. I, I Honestly, like the last time I saw Dundalk play was against Pats on live TV, um, which is about eight games ago, maybe. And I was like, I think... I, I, I had a private best that has, has makes me look like an absolute idiot now. But anyway, we won't talk about that. Well, they I'm were poor that night. It, but maybe we they were poor yeah. that night. It's and, irresponsible. Uh, uh, um, Isaac got Pats were comfortably the better team, which they were. Um, and ever since then, Derry have gotten um, Derry haven't won a game in like seven or eight. And uh, Dundalk have gone on this unbelievable run. The thing is, as well, I think Dan Dan makes all the right points there in terms of Rovers that will have other things to uh, worry about. Dundalk are Dundalk have a lot of players that are kind of getting to know the League of Ireland, like McCarry, who's put in the ball last night. He did an unbelievable pass. Their keeper um, Shepherd, who's been very good, um, Connolly. Now see what happens with Connolly, but he's been you know he's been a revelation. He's been very very good. They're only going to progress, I think, and they might be able to strengthen as well. They have a brilliant manager, Stephen O'Donnell. I think he's very going to be a very good manager. Um, I think there is a title race, and I, 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 I did not envisage this at all. I think it's kind of like Stephen Kenny's first season at Dundalk, where they sort of exceeded expectations. But uh, thank, thankfully, like I, I didn't. Nobody wants Rovers to 
I don't think even Rovers fans want it to be a procession. Um, I think it's going to be really compelling. And other, there are other, all these other sideshows as well, like, you know, um, Damien Duff's um, first season in charge, new, new manager at Sligo. Um, Pats have had a patchy season and Derry have just fallen off a cliff. So lots of stuff going on. And these European draws, Dan. So, what what do we got to look forward to? Yeah. So, so I mean, the, so the three clubs are in the Europa Conference League. That's Pats, Derry, and Sligo Rovers, and um, it's hard. Like that route is hard. Um, you know, Sligo Rovers actually have a decent draw against a Welsh club and could play Motherwell in the second round. Um, Derry, Latvian team, quite tough. Um, Pats got a bye to the second round, but it looks like they could be they could end up playing that team Mura from Slovenia, who beat Spurs last year. You might remember JD in the, the conference. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, Rovers are Shamrock Rovers are the main one because the champions. You get a couple of bites at the cherry as the champions, um, and they they got the draw they wanted. The, the the champions of Malta, Hibernians in the first round, and what that basically means is that if Shamrock Rovers can win their first game in the Champions League, the worst case scenario, the the the, the absolute worst case scenario for them is that at the end of August they're in a playoff for the group stages of the Conference League, which is worth three million quid. Um, that's the worst case scenario if they can win that first Champions League tie um, because effectively if you do that it almost gives you three lives so it gives you a shot at the Champions League then a shot at the Europa League and then last chance a shot at the Europa Conference League so um, it can really open up for them if they can get through that first game and I mean really uh, they, they crept into being seeded they were the last team you know they were just at the, the bottom of the seeded threshold um, and it's worked out okay for them draw-wise, but you know, um, you have to capitalise on those opportunities. Like you have to make the most of it because, you know, our champions sometimes are unlucky in that round and they get ties they can't win. But this is a tie that, that Rovers can can most certainly win. And. The, just the windfalls the money involved here is oh, it's huge change the dynamic of um, like League of Ireland clubs were basket cases there's still no proper prize money in Ireland but it's it's uh, it's huge and uh, the league the league to me is in a very very good place relative to what it's been at in terms of the young players coming through um, how pretty the football is at times and the money that's available for doing well in Europe and um, just yeah. one other thing I meant to say about Dundalk sorry is that their next three games are very very winnable so um, yeah we, we, we've a fascinating season ahead and I can't wait the European draws have been great That'll I mean, be tested like I think there's been mixed views about the level of the league this season so we'll see how the yeah Europe will tell us like Sligo Sligo must be delighted so they beat a team from Wales and they play Motherwell I mean that's just dream dream um, boat stuff really for, for the new manager John Russell and um, and I think it'd be great to have like a League of Ireland team t- taking on Motherwell who Ross Tierney is at would be great to see it'd be great crack great carnival atmosphere at the game here as well now there's a carnival atmosphere down in Thurlis Temple Stadium for the second uh, All-Ireland quarter final Clare and Wexford what's going on Tommy Walsh yes John uh, won 7 to 10 points at half time second half 42 minutes gone Wexford won 10 with a free from about 75 yards out to level it up Clare 14 points that's 110 to Wexford 14 points to Clare uh, Dear Marine started off with two he's playing wing back today he made two darting runs up the field the first one for a Tony Kelly sideline coach with Shane O'Donnell won by shoving a lad out 
out over the line he put that ball over the bar then he followed up a, a, a couple of moments later so he scored two points in the first four minutes for Wexford then Jack O'Connor was straight through said down long the, the new stand he gave a great ball across to Lee Chin who put the ball over the bar to bring the margin back to one point uh, the clear forwards in the second half are putting in huge tackles so Brian Lowen obviously had words with them at half time and it's definitely working for him Tony Kelly scored his second point of the game as well so Lee Chin who is scoring all the frees in fairness to him has a chance here from about 70 say his own 65 yard line he's stepping over there now rising the ball he strikes is the ball gone over the bar it's gone to the right it's gone to Hawkeye on to Hawkeye. We had Hawkeye three times already today and it's worked every time. So fair play to Hawkeye. You're going well today. <laughs> Good man, Tommy. Good man, Tommy Welch. The legend uh, down in Thurlis first there. Claire, 14 points. Wexford, one ten at the moment. 43 minutes into that uh, quarterfinal. Galway are into the semis. They'll play Limerick after a 219 to 121 win over Cork this afternoon. This has been Football Saturday. Dan McDonald, Johnny Ward. I want to thank all the listeners for everything. Uh, in terms of your support over the last nine months we're back on air August the hey, 6th it's Totsamosher it's Totsamosher yeah. remember football coverage and off the ball brought to you by Sky proud partner of our women's national football team we hope we can beat Georgia I believe together we can go anywhere Stephen Addy is he coming to Dublin in the summer? I probably will they all make an appearance at some stage yeah don't sound too excited about it <laughs> <laughs> we're still waiting on JD's world class moment I haven't thought I have to think about it we'll have it for the return when are we back in August August the 6th with the Premier League season starting earlier obviously with the the calendar is going to be mad next season isn't it Mm. I think you've had some world class moments yeah Yeah. so the World Cup was it November the middle of November 19th November 19th in Qatar and it finishes the week before Christmas it's a different it's going to be a season like the water it'll never be repeated either but it's it's the the long international window was a product of it sorry Sleeves I still can't get my head around the World Cup being in the oh, middle of the winter. I know. Tremendous. Yeah, yeah, it's a strange one. All right, Stephen, thanks so much. Stephen Elliott there on the line uh, from Sunderland. And Dan and Johnny, thanks for everything. And uh, we'll speak soon. I'll talk to you soon, Johnny. Uh, okay. And John. So, so don't forget, off the ball, back tomorrow, 1 to 7 here on News Talk. We're going to preview the final round of the US Open live from Boston. So, just to give you the heads up around that at the moment 3.45 local time, 8.45 Irish time. Conor Marikawa, former USPJ and Open champion, tees off on 5 under par with Joel Damon. Uh, also 5 under par in the final group, then on 4 under, Rory McIlroy. Can he win his first major in eight years alongside John Ram on 4 under, John Ram, the world number two, Hayden Buckley on 4 under par, Aaron Wise on 4 under par, Bo Hostler 4 under. There are 23 players under par, so lots of players in with chances. Seamus Power is one over, Shane Larry missed the cut. So that's what's happening with the US Open. We'll have plenty of discussion around that tomorrow on tomorrow's show. Uh, we're going to be joined live from Boston. Uh, Michael Quinn-Livin will be at Croke Park for the Talton Cup semi-finals. There'll also be a football hour. And Katie Liston and Kean Tracy will join us for the Sunday pay-per-view. Be sure to join us tomorrow for some great conversation and updates. If you missed any of the Saturday panel preview in the Athletics Ireland National Outdoor Track and Field Championships with Lily O'Hora, uh, Michael Bowler and Matt Lockett or any of OTB Football Saturday with Stephen Elliott, Dan McDonnell and Johnny Ward you can find a podcast of our content on the OTB Sports app just before we go we're going to check in again with Thurless Semple Stadium Clare against Wexford uh, in the All-Ireland quarterfinal Tommy Walsh did Wexford get that point? No, uh, Hawkeye, you hit the post and over the bars, you know, that, that means if the post was higher, it would have been wide, you know, it would have hit the post and wide. But they're just after getting a goal, Wexford. A long ball, it was a free from, 
I'd say Matthew we hadn't made a great hook on Ian Galvin came out one it was kind of it was staying around for a while and the Wicks were battling the one a free a long one it looked like possibly Conor McDonald might have got a touch shoot but went straight into the net from their own 30 yard line so it's Wexford 2-10 clear 14 points and you can hear it Wexford Wexford are shouting it here from the stands and the atmosphere is after really taking uh, it's absolutely epic here at the moment great stuff Tommy Walsh the legend Wexford 210 Clare 14 points and uh, obviously we have plenty of reaction to that on the digital and social channels on Off the Ball all the interviews post-match on our digital channels thanks so much for listening this afternoon we'll speak tomorrow bye-bye Football on Off the Ball with Sky watch Premier League Women's Super League Scottish Premiership and much more live on Sky Sports Thank you.